0: Welcome to Have a Life Teaching, the podcast designed for educators who are dedicated to enhancing their teaching practice and creating a positive impact on their students' lives. In each episode, we'll dive deep into the world of education, exploring a wide range of topics related to curriculum, instruction, and assessment in K-12 schools. Together, we'll learn from the brightest minds in the education field, So if you're a passionate educator who's ready to take your teaching practice to the next level, join us as we explore the exciting world of education. My name is John Shambari, signing in and saying, let's have a life teaching. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Have a Life Teaching podcast. My name is John Shambari, your host. And... uh, quickly let's talk about an experience that i had as a teacher so when i was teaching i had the opportunity to teach the child of a colleague in my school and unfortunately something happened and the parent slash my colleague was not very happy with me and it went downhill from there very very quickly she threatened me intimating you know that she might have the mafia come in on the conversation. I mean, I am from New Jersey, so not completely surprising, right? Now, I will say that 90% of my experiences, 95% of my experiences with parents have been positive. Parents have been some of my best allies. But I don't think it's a stretch to say, those of us who are teachers or have been teachers, when we hear horror stories like that, Uh, It really makes us not want to engage with families and parents until we absolutely have to. And then what ends up happening is that we are compelled to engage with families, but it's often when things go wrong, like the story I mentioned. So that's why I'm really excited tonight to have a, a wonderful guest joining us, Crystal Fromert. She is a math teacher and assistant head of middle school at the Audi School in Houston. She is a marvelous blogger, you'll be able to find her articles on Edutopia and other education blogs, and she's just written this amazing book called When Calling Parents Isn't Your Calling, A Teacher's Guide to Communicating with Parents. So really excited to have Crystal joining us today. Crystal, thank you for joining us.
1: Thanks, John. I'm excited to be here. And your story is is something else. I don't think I've ever heard anything about the mob and, and parents and
0: teachers. That That is a new one for me. Uh, w- welcome to New Jersey. Never <laughs> a dull moment in my state. Never a dull moment in the Garden State. But enough about me. So, Crystal, before we really get into things, if you could tell us a little bit about how you got into teaching. And more importantly, how did parent communication become your jam?
1: Okay, yeah, great question. I was one of those kids who uh, played teacher with my younger siblings. Um, When I got allowance money, I would ask to go to the teacher supply store, and I would buy posters and teacher supplies, and I would make my little sisters and my dolls be my students. I'm sure they loved that. Um, (laughs) So I always knew I wanted to be a teacher and uh, never really never really looked back from that. I, I, I love being a teacher. I've been an administrator as well. Um, but in the end, I, I do miss being with my students. So right now I have a super happy balance that I am administrator and I'm also a math teacher at the same time. And it's it's a great position to be in. Um, and the second part of your question about why parent communication? And um, it's my jam, I guess, because it's an area that I have grown the most in. It's not that I am... I know everything expert about it. I have a lot, you know, a lot more to know and a lot more to grow. Um, But when I was a new teacher, I started teaching at 22. I was terrified to talk to parents. I was intimidated. I thought they would see right through me. It was a little bit of imposter syndrome. And over the years, I have wanted to grow in that area. I wanted to get more confident. And so I started taking in nuggets of advice and and expertise that I've gotten from other administrators and other colleagues. And I decided that I wanted to put all of that in an article. And that was my very first Edutopia article in 2020. And I wrote about that because I've grown so much in that area. And I have so much to share for other teachers, whether they're new teachers or veteran teachers. But more importantly, they're teachers who are hesitant to talk to parents. So that article uh, caught the attention of Darren Pepper with Road to Awesome Publishing, and we collaborated together and we decided that we would turn this into a book. So it's remarkable to me that I'm a math teacher and never ever considered myself a writer until (laughs) about three years ago. And I turned a 700 word article into a 200 page book uh, with a lot of help, a lot of guidance uh, from my editor, but um, that's how the book came to be. And I think it's gonna be extremely helpful to parents, to, to teachers who want to build partnerships with parents.
0: I love it. And I actually did read your article. In fact, for our listeners tonight, uh, I looked at one of your articles, and that's actually how we connected well before the podcast tonight. So your articles have had impact. And, you know, not only the article, but what I actually liked in the article with which you extended your thinking in the book is definitely thinking about parent engagement strategically, Mm -hmm. and being proactive in thinking about how we engage parents, not waiting for a situation to occur, but actually thinking in advance how you are going to organize your communications with parents. And as I was telling you off camera, I wish I had this when I was a teacher, because especially in those early years, like you were mentioning, I was really bad at communicating with parents and scared and afraid. And so, to your point about imposter syndrome, I think many of us as new teachers feel that. And even veteran teachers, some veteran teachers still do not find that a pleasurable aspect of their work. But, you know, it's important. And so, could you talk a little bit about why? we should care? Why should we make that effort to engage with our families? Not just when there's a problem, but in general, why should we be systemic and actually have systems and processes in place to have those conversations?
1: Yeah, I think about, um, you know, a boxing ring, you know, like the Rocky movies, and, and you've got the boxer who's in the ring, and you've got his manager and the coach and you've got a team behind him. And and that's where the saying I'm in your corner comes from. And and that's what I believe that kids need. All kids need that. They need parents in their corner. They need teachers in their corner. um, So that we're we're supporting them and we're together in in a partnership and not against each other. And that's extremely important because our goals are exactly the same. We want this child to be the best that they can be and to learn as much as they can. And if we're supporting each other and we're supporting the child, then they have so much more chances for success. And that's why it's important. Um, but, you know, in the end, we're not always going to see eye to eye. I mean, just like when you have two parents in a family, they're not always going to see eye to eye, but they're generally on the same page. And And I, I compare that to a parent-teacher relationship that it's okay that sometimes parents and teachers maybe aren't in full agreement. There have been times that, you know, I have suggested something for the child, but the parent says, you know, we're not going to do that or something like that. And But you can keep that cordial. You can keep that professional. Um, And at the same time, a parent can say to the teacher that they want something that's not going to happen by pushing maybe a boundary. Um, I think of, you know, some of those internet memes or internet postings where you see that parents are texting teachers at 11 at night asking for homework help. Well, that's, that's beyond professional boundaries and um, that's not partnering and, and to maintain um, to maintain your mental health as a teacher and not to get burned out. It is extremely important that you do honor those boundaries for yourself. Um, I I don't give out my cell phone to families, but that doesn't mean that I won't. Right. So if there's um, an extreme situation I certainly have called a parent from my cell phone um, because you have to look at every individual situation and see what's best for that child in that situation. Um, So that is why it is so important that we see um, a common ground with parents and teachers, but also maintaining respectful boundaries.
0: I love that. And I think you hit the nail right on the head, right? Where... You know we need parents to be more than just those people that sign the letters that go home in backpacks that if we truly want our students to learn we need to be engaging our families in that process and if covid taught us anything it taught us the importance of having the teacher at home right having parents Not only being the cheerleader, but actually being there with their child on their their child's learning journey, right? So I think that's critical as to why we need to be engaging with our families. And again, doing it in a way where we're building trust, which means having those systems in place where we're not just communicating with parents during difficult times, but throughout the year. But I think I, you I think you bring up another really important point. and this gets to why I named the podcast Have a Life Teaching, because we want teachers to get into classrooms and you know, teaching is much more than a job, right? It's a vocation. Right. But you and I both know that teachers are under a tremendous amount of stress right now, and teachers are leaving the field in droves, partially because they don't find it sustainable. So to what you were saying about, yes, communicating with families, but again, having those systems so that way there are those boundaries in place where teachers can make sure that they're doing everything to help that child learn, to help their families help that child learn, but not to the point where the teacher wants to jump out of a window and sacrifices their home life, their family life, their own children's learning in education, right? so it really resonated with me what you said there so speaking about that a little further what recommendations if you could give teachers new teachers veteran teachers some ideas as to quick hacks if you will that they can implement tomorrow that will really up their communication game when it comes to families Uh, I know you have your book I hope people read it and we're going to talk about where they can find you at the end of the podcast, but before we get there, what are some hacks, whether from the book or from your own personal experience, that teachers should be adopting to really foster those good communication practices with families and parents.
1: Yeah, I, I, the, the title of the book is when calling parents as you're calling, but I, I certainly talk about other modes of communication, you know, like email and, and face-to-face conversations, news, newsletters, but I purposely chose calling, um, in the title because I think that a phone call is extremely important. Um, there's two reasons why one is sometimes it's easier than a face-to-face. A lot of the times it's easier. Um, face-to-face is important if it's something serious or very sensitive. But a phone call can often suffice. Um, because you know, when you're asking someone to come into school for a face-to-face, they have to find parking, they have to go through the visitor check-in. It's a lot of logistics. And a phone call can be done with less than 10 minutes. Um, and then then the other side of that is is email. Um, and I, I think that phone calls are better than than email, especially when you need to communicate something that's not all you know roses and rainbows it's if it's not completely positive then a phone call is going to convey that tone in the teacher's voice it's going to give that space for the teacher and the and the parent to ask questions and answer questions back and forth rather than going back and forth through written emailed paragraphs right which where tone and sensitivity can be lost and so that's why i promote the phone call and my hack, I suppose, for the phone call, because I don't like making phone calls. I right, just know that right. better. And I think everyone listening right now is going to be like, well, I don't want to make a phone call. Well, no, of course not. No one wants to, right? Um, <laughs> so, but what I what I do is this. This is a, a practice that I have mastered over the years. Um, if I need to make a phone call to a family, I will email first and I email every parent in the family, whether it's step-parent, mom, dad, both dads, whoever it is, like and that. I, I say, I would like to talk with you about John's progress in algebra. I am free today between two and three. What is a good number for me to call, and what is a good time for me to call? And I purposely phrase it that way because it's short and sweet. I'm communicating to the family what I need to talk about, so it's not just like a cold call because it causes a lot of anxiety. I'm a parent. I know that firsthand that a cold call causes a lot of anxiety. And um, I'm in the driver's seat of that communication because I have told the family when I'm free. I've set some guidelines of we're not going to play phone tag. So I'm going to call you between two and three. What's the best time in in that range? And the other reason I ask what's the best number to call is because I'm not sure which parent wants to take that phone call or if both want to. Um, I've been burned before where I've called the wrong parent, which I have no idea how I would have known, which is the wrong right, parent. Right. But, um, but sometimes parents will say, we'll both be on the call or the dad will say, I'll take the call, something like that. So you're giving them that option. And then when I do call, the parents are prepared for the phone call. I'm not going to get voicemail. We're not going to play phone tag. And often that phone conversation takes less than 10 minutes. Right. Um, it's- it's not and it's a lot shorter than going back and forth with email where you're not really getting your message across and things can get misconstrued and an admin gets roped in it just gets more dramatic than it needs to be. So I don't know if that's considered a hack but that's how I approach a phone call. I always start with an email, set up the time, ask for a phone number, and parents very very much appreciate that. They all you know 99% of the time they say at the end of the call thank you so much for calling me about this um, because you are your voice and your tone is going to say so much about how you care about that child. And even if the message is negative, there's an empathy and there's a care um, and a partnership message that comes with that. And so even if you don't like making phone calls because no one does, you still got to do it.
0: <laughs> yeah, I a lot resonates with me with what you said. And I do think that's a hack, Crystal, because (laughs) if the goal of teaching is, again, to help parents help their students, why create a situation in advance of you speaking with them of anxiety? So I totally think that that's a hack. And I think it's an important one because whether it's parent communication or other forms of communication, I do think sometimes we say too much in email Mm -hmm. and to your point, we lose the tone, we lose the empathy. So that's very much a hack to to get your conversations off with parents on the right foot. The other reason why I like what you're saying about actually calling and having that more direct human contact with families is something else you talked about in your book, which is the personalization of the experience of speaking with families right now Mm -hmm. in the book, you talk about also parents that might be a little over the top, but when you're actually talking to them on the phone or in person, it also gives the parent the opportunity to share what's going on with them, which could partially explain why they might be going off the rails. So could you also talk a little bit about how you not only personalize your communications with family members, but how you almost anticipate in advance how conversations might go and how you could better support parents by thinking in advance how to, how to support them or how to answer their needs, if that makes sense. Yeah.
1: Yeah. So just like we differentiate for our kids, you know, in class, we, we will differentiate assessments or modes of instruction to, to meet their needs. We can do the same for families. Um, you know, if there's a family, you know, that the communication is just going to be best if you're face-to-face, then you know try to arrange the face-to-face. If you know that email is just not gonna work um, with them, then don't email them, you know, make sure it's always phone calls. Um and you won't know that until you know the family. And, and sometimes it takes a little bit of a learning curve um, to the very extreme of that, which I hope is rare, very rare and never happens to any educator. But if there's a family that you feel there might be some contention or some hostility um, in that meeting. Um, of course, it's better to switch away from an email communication because that's not gonna get you anywhere. Um, but if you're gonna meet face-to-face in person, you wanna have an administrator present with you. Um, and that will give you that support. And, and maybe not even an administrator, maybe a school counselor, maybe a learning support specialist, maybe an instructional coach, maybe a department chair, just another educator in the room Um, and explain to the family why that person's there. We're here to come up with solutions to to help your son uh, with math or with reading or whatever it is, um, so they don't feel threatened by the the increased number of adults in the room. Um, But you have to to be mindful of that. And, And another rare situation, even more rare, I hope, is if the parent does start to yell or use offensive language with you or become threatening, an educator has every right to get out of that room to leave that room or to hang up the phone right um, and you can and, and I really hope that everyone listening works at a school where you feel supported in that way that if because I have worked with um, a teacher who was with a, a dad who started to raise his voice at her she got very uncomfortable um, and I'm not sure that she felt at that moment the empowerment to say this meeting is now over Right. I am not going to listen to this because you do not have to. Um, And again, I hope those are very rare situations. And I think they might be more common in some places than others. But um, just watch out for yourself. Watch out for that. Um, Look out for what's the best way to communicate with that family. If that family is not um, if English is not their first language, it's really great. If you can find someone to help with translating someone who's not their child. To help with translating, that's going to help the family feel more welcome, and it's going to open up that communication between the both of you. And that probably is best in an in-person uh, situation. I work at an international school. Um, I work with many families where English is not their first language, um, and we do have we have, do have people who can help, uh, you know, in- interpret. Um, and email is not always great when when your first language right. is not the same as the other person because. Um, I've written I've written emails in Spanish before and my Spanish is terrible. And I'm sure it has come across like I'm angry or something. <laughs> so
0: right, it's good right. that
1: I don't email in Spanish. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I think you, you you said a lot there. And yes, it is important to also have administration working with teachers and understanding what those communication protocols are going to be. And I will say, even in my horror story, admin did get involved in that situation, uh, clarified itself. Let's just put it that way. Now, okay. one other question I have for you is we're talking a lot about how to set boundaries for parents and what we as teachers, you know, what's our right to tolerate or not tolerate? But let's face it, Crystal, we're also human. We have perhaps our own internal biases. You know, we make mistakes too, right? And so how would you recommend to a teacher who made a mistake or either saying something to a child they shouldn't have said, or they've come around back to a situation and realized, you know, maybe I should give this child another chance with their grade for whatever the reason is. What do you recommend to teachers in terms of how they address that with families while still maintaining their professional presence, if you will? I have a whole chapter called What If I'm Wrong?
1: (laughs) (laughs) So I'm glad you brought that up because I have been wrong and I will continue to be wrong.
0: We (laughs) all have.
1: It happens to everybody and you're right, we are human, but it is so hard. It is so hard to admit that to a parent because you want to look professional. You want to look like you know what's going on. And of course we do 99% of the time, but we're going to make mistakes. That's just a given. Um, I can think of one example that bothered me greatly years ago. I typed in grades in the grade book um, and skipped a line. And I gave one child the grades of another child Oops. and yeah, and I didn't catch it. The parents caught it and said, you know, I'm curious of, you know, why she has these low grades. And I was like, that's, that's curious because she's not that, you know, kind of kid. She usually has really high marks. Um. And I, and then, the, you know, when you get nervous and you get embarrassed, do you feel that heat rising? I was like, oh no, I know what I did. Um, and I had to, and I, I had a meeting face to face with them. I was dreading it so much. <laughs> and I had to say, um, you know, here in the South, I'm in Texas and we say, eat crow. I had to eat crow, which means, I don't know if you use that in New Jersey, but it means you just need to admit you're wrong. And I said, I, I am so sorry that this happened. I skipped a line in my grade book. Um, and it inadvertently had given her the wrong grades. I am going to make sure this is fixed. Um, And I reassure you that I will follow through with this to make sure that it's reported correctly. Um, The parents could have gone either way. They could have said, this is ridiculous. How could you do something like this? Um, But they actually were very gracious and kind to me and said, hey, you know, things like this happen. I'm glad you're going to fix it. I'm glad you're going to follow up on making sure it's reported correctly. Um, You know, no problem. And I was so lucky, right? I was so lucky that the parents were like that. I try to pay that forward. You know, if if someone makes a mistake or misses a meeting or something like that, I try to remember moments like that, where I can pay that forward and say, Hey, you know what? It's okay. We're humans. We make mistakes because I know that I'm going to do it again. So yeah. Yeah. Yeah,
0: Yeah, Oh, go ahead, Crystal. I apologize.
1: Oh, I was just going to say, you know, one more thing. If, if you say the wrong thing to a kid, I, I put an example in the book. There was, um, There was a kid in our school years ago, um, and the teacher had this fun nickname for him. Um, He thought it was fun, called Smeldon. And the kid acted like it was funny. The other kids, of course, thought it was funny. But then the parent emailed the teacher and said, you need to stop calling my son that. He doesn't like it. You know, he's bothered. And the teacher, who's, you know, kind of a jokester kind of teacher, we all know the kind, right? he said to the family, I am so sorry. I had truly, had no idea that this nickname bothered him. I thought it was all in fun. This is my mistake and I am going to make sure that he's never called that again in this class. Um, And I own this, I own this mistake. Um, And I'm sure that was embarrassing, but I do applaud the parents for going straight to the teacher and not going above his head because that's really where you get the problem solved. So that's another example
0: exactly and looking at that example from your book i was also very impressed that not only did that teacher apologize to the parents the teacher owned up to it in the class itself so in our closing minutes crystal anything that i didn't ask you that you really want people to know about parent communication
1: can i turn the question back to you of is course. that okay in your podcast, because um, I know that you are a professor of teacher candidates. Correct. Um, and I would love to know from you, what do you think needs to happen in teacher education um, to help teachers be prepared to partner with parents in an effective way as a professor?
0: Yeah, so a couple things things uh, that your book really triggered my thoughts on. So I'm glad you're asking me this question. Number one, I think we need to do a better job as administrators to develop professional development around communicating with families. It's often something that is not first and foremost when it comes to training educators, particularly at the beginning of a year. Mm -hmm. At the beginning of the year, those in-services, we talk about the new curriculum. We talk about the new standards. We talk about infrastructure changes to the building, but we rarely talk about how do we engage families. Mm -hmm. We tend to only talk about it when there is a problem, when either a parent has not first reached out to a teacher and has gone directly to the leader, or it's not working between the parent and the teacher and it goes to the leader. But what if we spend some time really embedding communication processes and protocols into the training that we give teachers and another thing I wanted to mention that I liked in your book that I think really makes your book a good resource for doing this is that you include case studies we talked about the one with that uh, high school teacher or that middle school teacher where the student didn't like the name your book is full of stories that could be that could serve as case studies Mm -hmm. and you also have reflection questions at the end of each chapter so if a school or an individual teacher or a group of teachers know that they're having a particular issue when it comes to parent communication why not even use resources like your book within professional learning communities to really turn it into a problem of practice so to answer your question i think that's what we need to do more of in our schools to make parent communication an important part of the learning process. We talk about it all the time, particularly after COVID, how we have to really have our parents as thought partners, but how do we turn that from talk to actual effective implementation? Right,
1: yeah. And the practical how-to is so important, especially for a beginning teacher. How do I start the phone conversation? How do I reach out when it's difficult? So you're absolutely right.
0: Exactly. So Crystal, where can people reach you if they wanna learn more about you or your work, whether it's about parent communication or mathematical practices, how can people find you? Uh, yeah, so
1: I am on Twitter. Um, if you look up um, Mrs. Fromert, that's my handle, F-R-O-M-M-E-R-T i also have a website, crystalfromert.com. And um, you can find the book When Calling Parents Is It Your Calling. You can find that on Amazon if you would like to purchase that or purchase it and ask your school for reimbursement. That's one way you could get it. (laughs) Um, So um, I do like to uh, tweet and have conversations about grade equity and um, math practices, all kinds of things that I like to talk about, all ed. Um, And I'm also on LinkedIn. So it's pretty easy to find me because there's not that many fromers out there in the U.S.
0: Crystal, this has been lovely. Thank you so much.
1: Great. Thank you. What a fun time. Bye-bye. Bye.
0: Thank you for listening today. I hope you got some great tips that you can bring back into your teaching. Remember, have a life teaching without sacrificing your own. Also, don't forget to subscribe and be well